Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I too want to welcome you here to our central campus of Center Street Church. So glad you're joining us this morning, and welcome to those of you as well joining us online. One thing you might not know about me is uh, I'm sort of a wannabe cowboy, Um, but I've never had an opportunity to be a cowboy, and I'm freaked out about horses, so that probably wouldn't work out for me. So you know what? I resorted to reading novels about uh, cowboys, Western books. I started reading and uh, just fell in love with Western books, and specifically the author Louis L'Amour. I'm not sure... Hey, there's a couple of people, a couple of fans of him. <clears throat> They're just great books, clean books, you know, awesome. And uh, in every one of these books, there's a cowboy who just comes onto the scene of conflict, and he is the hero, right? And he just clears out the riffraff and puts everybody in their place and saves the ranch and beats the bad guys and, you know, just brings about good change, positive change, uh, good change for the community and he's the hero. And so, you know, I love that. I, I love hero movies as well where there's just a person, right, who beats all the odds and comes against the, the bad stuff, the conflict that's going on and makes a difference and brings about change just makes things better. And I think that's the same for all of us as we live our lives. I mean, we want our lives to count. We want to make a difference. We want to make an impact in society. We want to influence others. We want to bring about good, positive, healthy change. We want our lives to be lived with a purpose. We want our lives to be lived intentionally. We want a sense of mission, right? Beyond our own interests and desires to drive us and propel us forward in life. I think that's true about all of us. Some would argue, though, that there's a bit of a change going on in our North American society. Again, in general. And some would argue that in a very generalized way, our North American society, people are becoming more apathetic, more self-centered, more focused on themselves, and less focused outwardly. One Christian author, Dorothy Sayers, writes this way. She says, The sin of our times is not power-hungry materialism. It's not materialism. It's not a permissive spirit of lawlessness. It's not lawlessness. But rather, the sin of the age is the predominant thinking where people believe in nothing, care for nothing, seek to know nothing. They don't interfere with anything. Therefore, they don't enjoy anything. They hate nothing. They find purpose in nothing. They live for nothing. They remain alive because there's nothing for which they will die for or sacrifice for. What she describes In a generalized way, in North American society, there's a sense of complacency, apathy, a lack of hope, void of love, no service of others, there's no good news, there's hopelessness even, that the world could change, that our country could change, our province could change, a family could change, a person can change. Stated another way, the sin of this age is that there is nothing bigger than my own self-interest, my own interests, my own needs, my own life. There's nothing outside of myself to live for, to hope for, to serve, to be generous for, to to act on, to interfere with. And if Sawyers is right and others who, if Sayers is right and others who, who agree with her, then 
the predominant social consciousness, this predominant way of thinking, stands actually in direct opposition to how we as Christians, by God, are compelled to live. Because we actually do believe in something. We believe in God. We believe in right and wrong and truth. And we seek to know truth and seek to live our lives in accordance with that truth. We care for others. We love our neighbor. We care for others. We love others. We do interfere with what the Bible, what's, what's going on in our society that the Bible says is contrary to what the Bible says. We, we interfere. We enjoy life to its fullest. We hate what is evil. We live our lives with a sense of purpose, accomplishing what God wants us to on this planet Earth. We live with hope for the future, hope that people can change, that God can bring about change. We live with faith in God. We live with love for others. And God entrusts the message of salvation to men and women who will live passionate and purposeful lives, carrying the gospel message with them wherever they go in order to bring about change and transformation in our world, in our society, in our neighborhoods, our families, everywhere we go, to bring about change. So we come this morning to Jonah chapter 3 in our summer series, going through the book of Jonah. Chapter 3, we see that God uses one man to change a city. One person who carried a message by God, who transformed a whole city, more than 120,000 people, changed completely because of one person. And I want you to know this morning, I want you to know this, that God's agenda for this planet involves you. God's agenda, God's plan, God's purpose for this planet involves you. You have a role to play. And many of you are living out what God is calling you to do. In different places all across our city, in different sectors of society, many of you are living this way. You are driven and motivated by God's purpose, God's mission for your life and the people who he's sending you to. And I want to affirm you and say, way to go for the way that you are living your lives. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to be about. The Bible is clear. God uses men and women, boys and girls, students and young adults, to carry out these good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. Today we're picking up our series, like I said, looking at Jonah chapter 3, where God uses one, I'm so glad that God uses Jonah. <laughs> so glad. I mean, Jonah, a disobedient, runaway, reluctant prophet, God uses him to bring about change in a city, saving it from utter destruction. So I'd like us to read Jonah chapter 3 together. And why don't you stand with me and we'll just read these 10 verses together. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 
The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit is active through your word. And as we study this ancient text this morning, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, bring about change and conviction and encouragement and strength into our lives, moving us to live the way that you want us to live. We pray that you would remind us that we are sent people, that you have sent us, you have a purpose for us in this world. We pray that you would remind us of your grace, your amazing, lavish grace that you have poured out on us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Our hearts and minds are open to what you want to say to us this morning, so speak by your Holy Spirit to us. And we'll be careful to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So there's just a couple of things that I want to point out from this text this morning. The first is this, that God is persistent in sending his people. God is persistent in sending his people. We read here in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Not just the first time, but a second time. God's persistent and says to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And deliver the message that I've given you. And when I read this, I am so encouraged by God. I am so glad that God doesn't speak just once into our lives. And if we don't get it, that he just doesn't write us off and doesn't push us to the side. And, don't, and he doesn't come to us and say, boy, you know what? Shame on you. You didn't hear me the first time. And therefore, I'm not going to speak into your life anymore. What we read here is that God is persistent. He gives us a second chance and a third chance at times to hear what he's saying to us about our own lives. He'll come to us again and again and say, you know what, confess that. Change your way of behavior. Change how you're thinking. Do this. Talk to this person. Move in this direction. He's persistent in sending us. God is a God of movement. He's always up to something good. And we see here in this text that God says to Jonah a second time, go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah says, yes, I'll go. So he goes to Nineveh. We read here from the text that this is a very important city. And what's underlying these words here, that this is a very important city, is the meaning here that that this is God's city. 
There's a key word in the passage here that, that portrays and communicates this is God's city. God is in charge of this city. God oversees and reigns supreme over this city. This is God's city. It's an important city. This city is so large that it takes three days for someone to walk around its circumference. It's about 100 kilometers in circumference. But remember, this was an evil city. It was a city of violence. It had showed up on God's radar. God saw this city and said, I can't leave this city the same. Something has to be done about this city. The people are living in wickedness and just there's chaos and violence going on. I have to do something. I just can't sit back. This was a well-militarized city, economically developed, protected by a large wall that ran all the way around the city. One author says that three chariots could ride side by side on top of the wall all the way around this city. Jonah had been vomited up onto the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. We read that in end of Jonah chapter 2. And anywhere that Jonah would have been left on the shore of the Mediterranean would have been a long, a long walk to Nineveh. Nineveh, we know, is in modern-day Iraq. Some historians say that um, the, the ancient city of Nineveh is either right beside or right underneath the modern-day city of Mosul. So Jonah goes to this city, and on the first day that he arrives there, he just declares this message that God told him to speak. It's a simple message, a short message. Maybe he said more than this, but this is the essence of what Jonah communicated. Forty days from now... Nineveh will be destroyed. That's what God sent Jonah to proclaim to the Ninevites. You see, God is always persistent in sending his people. God is always sending his people. God is always changing people's lives in order to send them out again. God's almost like a, a tornado. He draws people into relationship with him. He, he restores and reconciles and, and reforms and just makes them brand new people through his relationship with them. And then he sends them out again to carry out his agenda, his purpose in the world. God does this in, in Abraham's life, we remember. God said, Abraham, I am calling you. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. God always says, so that. I'm doing this for you so that. God will bring healing into your life so that you can be used to bring healing into other people's lives. God will teach you things and give you wisdom so that you can teach others and speak wisdom into the lives of others. God will provide for you so that you can be generous to others. God will display his love and compassion and forgiveness into your life, not so that you can be just bask in his love and be forgiven all on your own, but so that you can forgive others and express love and kindness to others. God is always drawing people into relationship with himself, and he is persistent in sending every single one of us in this room to others. And what God does is he sends us into the lives of other people. He doesn't only send us to a place or to a task to be accomplished, but he sends us into the lives of people around us, always into people's lives. Always into people's lives. See, the only question to ask the Lord if you're a Christian is, who are you sending me to? The question, God, are you sending me somewhere? Do you want anything for me to do? Or me to do anything? That's just, that's a, non, <clears throat> it's a nonsense question. God is sending you. The only question to ask is, who 
Who are you sending me to? God. Maybe some of you are already in that place. And I affirm you. Where you know what God is sending you to. You know who God's sending you to. And, but others of you, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, so why am I here at this business, at this school, at this neighborhood, in this home? Why am I here? And what does God want me to do in this place? See, Christians throughout history have discovered the answer to this question, who, God, are you sending me to, through prayer and listening to the Lord and asking that question, God, what do you want to do through me? Who are you sending me to? People have heard the answer to that question through prayer. And oftentimes as well, there's a need that is made evident around them. So when need pops up, and then Christians say, well, maybe, God, you're asking me to fulfill that need. And Christians pray about that, and then what they discover is that God will raise a conviction and a, a determination in their own minds that, yes, I must do something about that. I must serve there. I must go there. I must talk to these people. I must do this. And then people discover that actually God has been preparing them all along, giving them skills and abilities and talents and stuff in order to do something with the people, in the lives of people that God is sending them to. God is persistent in sending his people. We see that right here in the text. Friends of ours have been praying for quite some time and have discerned that the Lord is sending them to Dubai. And uh, tomorrow, actually, they're headed to Dubai just to do, uh, meet with some people there, and, and then they'll be moving there. They know without a shadow of a doubt God is sending them there to do what he's calling them to do. The people of Dubai. There's folks from our church who have been sent to the people of Orbeel and Iraq. God has sent them to a Samaritan's Purse hospital that's in Erbil, just a few miles away from the city of Mosul and, uh, and the horror of the, the war going on there. God has sent some of Center Street's people there to bring healing, to care for people. God has sent missionaries from this church all around the world to go to people of other nations. God has sent some of you to families in Calgary to become foster parents to their children. God has sent some of you to orphans in Calgary and in other parts of the world and you have adopted children to become part of your family. God has sent some of you to start your own business or sent you to a new business location to be part of a new business and, and placed you there so that you can tell people there about Jesus. God has sent some of you to hospitals and schools and community associations and coffee shops and all across our city. And he's placed you there for a purpose and he's placed you there with a message in your life to share. He sent you into the lives of other people into the lives of other people. And so many of you are involved in the ministries of this church, so many different ministry areas and, and leadership areas. You have been sent by God to be in that leadership position, to serve in that role for a specific purpose. I was speaking with a gentleman just last night who's just joined our, our video team here. And um, he believes God has sent him from the Philippines to Qatar and now to be here in Canada and he's being involved in this ministry of this church. 
Some of you know that we have been experiencing some challenges in our children's ministry area, just growth in our children's ministry. And uh, we actually don't have room for all the kids and parents that are coming. And unfortunately, on weekends, it's, it, we have space issues and have to say no to families and children that want to be involved in our children's ministry. Well, we're making a change and in the fall here, our chapel is going to become children's ministry space. And there might be some other spaces here on the weekend, Saturday night and Sunday morning, that will become space where our children will be discipled and taught about Jesus Christ. So, so there might be some changes and just, you know, work with us and flow with us, right? <clears throat> but we need some help in our children's ministry area. Maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder and, uh, and asking you to join our team. And um, maybe this need will just do something in your life. Um, but if you don't like kids, we don't want you. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we don't... Here, here's the reality. Some people actually don't know where, where God's, who God's sending them to. And they just need to step out into a need. And as they step into that place, God will make it clear to them, you know what, I've wired you a bit differently. So, so if this need connects with you, well, we want you. But if the Lord is placing on your heart and mind the desire to disciple and invest in children and in a younger generation and thereby even serving parents of these children, then we want you to join our team. In our grade 5-6 ministry, and there's so many other areas for you to be involved. But the question that you need to wrestle with is, Lord, are you sending me to kids? Are you sending me to this place? Who are the people that you're sending me to? You see, the difference between a person who's just existing in life, in, in any one of the settings that I just described, just being there, just existing there as an individual a person, and a person who was sent by God, the person who's sent by God, if you ask them, well, why are you doing this? Why are you here? In a coffee shop, in a business, in a school, in, a, in, a, in whatever location, if you ask them, why are you here? They'll be able to say, well, I know why God has me here for this time and this place. And they'll have an answer for you. Those are people who know that God has placed a mission, a purpose inside them in order to live that out in the context of the people that they are involved with, that they have influence with. It could be anywhere. Some of you actually have been sent from other parts of the world here to Calgary. There's a lady that uh, is part of our church, and she moved to Calgary about a year ago. She moved from Mexico Landed in Calgary, didn't really know a lot of people, and she began just going to the same coffee shop. She got to know this barista a little bit, and one day she asked the barista, she said, you know what, I'm a Christian, and um, I believe in God, and I'm looking for a good Christian church. Can you tell me where to go? And this barista said, well, I don't believe in God, and I'm not into that Christian stuff, Christianity stuff, but Center Street is a good Christian church, and you should go there. <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, you know what if we had time I could tell you so many other stories of the exact same scenario happening God uses people that doesn't, don't even believe in him to connect people and anyways and so she showed up here and um, is involved in our church and she's, she's living with this sense of purpose and mission that God's moved her from Mexico here to be in the business sector that she's in so that she can tell people here about Jesus Christ. And she's doing that and she's brought people from her workplace here 
And they've been moved and God is doing something. He's up to something good in their lives through this lady. Some of you have been sent here to Calgary from other parts of the world in order to help people find and know and love Jesus. So my question to you this morning is who? Who are the people that God's sending you to? Could be a cousin, could be extended family, could be anybody, but who? And if you don't know the answer to this question, here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge. We have a couple more weeks here in this series, our summer series in Jonah. So for the next 14 days, pray and listen to the Lord every single day. Saying, Lord, who? Can you just show me who? Maybe you're already in that location and, and then ask the Lord, Lord, why am I here at this place and this time? What do you want to do through me? What do you want to say through me? Pray every day the next 14 days. Listen to the Lord and see if he'll answer that question for you. You see, God is persistent in sending his people. He always does that. We are people on the move. God is on the move. God is up to something good. He's persistent in sending his people. The next thing that I want you to see in this passage is that God is far-reaching in his grace. Far-reaching in his grace. When we look at Jonah's life, it's so clear to see about how God was gracious to Jonah. I mean, just in chapter 2, we see how God rescued Jonah from drowning in, this, in the Mediterranean Sea. God sends a fish and rescues him. And, and even Jonah recognizes that this is part of God's grace that God brought salvation to him. God saved him through this great fish. And if we look back in Jonah chapter 1, God sends a great storm in order to stop Jonah from running away from him. Not to pay Jonah back because he disobeyed God, but to win Jonah back to himself. God is gracious to Jonah. It's so clear to see that. And Jonah knows that he's experienced God's just undeserved favor in his life. He knows that. Then we come to chapter 3 here. And we see that God is gracious in allowing the people of Nineveh a chance to turn from their wickedness and from their evil that they were doing. God doesn't bring judgment right away to this city of Nineveh, but God sends Jonah to give them an opportunity to repent. And Jonah comes with the message, folks, you've got 40 days, 40 days to turn, to change your behavior, to change your belief, to change your mind. And turn to God. You've got 40 days. That was an act of God's grace. Where have we seen this number 40 before in the Bible? Reminds us in Genesis, right? Early in Genesis where it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. When God judged people of the earth. There was so much wickedness and evil going on. They didn't turn back to God. So God brought judgment for 40 days. 40 nights it rained. In this instant, God says, I'm going to give you 40 days of grace here to change, to turn to me. As I've said, this city was evil. They were so evil and ruthless. One author says that, that the city, the people of Nineveh, had, had perfected the art of skinning people alive, and they would remain alive for two days. They had discovered how to do this so that people would live in pain and their suffering. I mean, this is, this is a, a scenario that characterizes the city what they thought was okay. The city's behavior was revolting to God. But even with Nineveh, God was far-reaching in his grace. See, God was the God of Israel. 
And people thought, well, that God's territory was Israel's territory, and that's where God ruled and reigned. But here we see God reaching, out, reaching outside of Israel into the Assyrian nation and into the city of Nineveh. And God reached out and told a prophet, an Israelite prophet, this, is never, this had never been done before, to go and prophesy to people who were non-Israelites with the message from God. God is so far-reaching in his grace even to forgive and give the city of Nineveh a second chance. I prayed with a young man, it seems about eight months ago, and uh, we had a long conversation. And what he told me was that he believed that God could not forgive him for what he had done. And that was a firm belief that he had come to in his life. God could not forgive him for what he had done. So over actually a period of months, he came to believe that God could forgive him. Some of you here this morning, sitting here right now, may believe that God cannot forgive you for something that you have done. That God's grace cannot reach far enough into your life or into your past to forgive you. That God could not love you. Maybe you feel that way. God could not love you. Maybe you think that God does not see you. That God has forgotten about you. That God has just, you've, you've just disobeyed him far too many times and you've run out of grace and you're beyond God's reach of grace. You've just had, that's the way you've lived your life. You may feel that God cannot forgive you. God cannot be gracious to you. You might feel like the prodigal son where at one point you believed in God but you just kind of turned your back on him and, and you feel like you can't return back to God. That you've done some things that God would not accept you back into relationship with him. You see, folks, this isn't, this isn't something that's uncommon. You might feel this way here this morning. I want you to know something. What you have done does not have power and authority over God. What you have done in your life does not have power, might, authority, control over God. It doesn't. God's capacity to forgive and to extend grace is limitless into history and eternity into the future. And no matter what you have done, God's grace can reach even to you. You don't have to live with secrets till you die. You don't have to live feeling condemned or shamed. You don't have to live that way. God says this in Ephesians, because of God's great love for us, while we were still dead in our sin, God saves us by his grace. It's by his grace we are saved. So my challenge to you is if you feel like God's grace can't reach and cover what you've done, begin to pray. Just take whatever small baby step, giant step, whatever step, take a step towards God and the way you can do that is just begin to pray to him. Talk to him. Be honest with God. Tell him what you've done. Tell him that you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you. Just begin with short little soundbite prayers. Start with something. Moving back towards God or moving to God for the very first time. And what you will discover is this. That as you step back towards God, in your spirit, you will begin to feel the warmth of God's love and his affection for you. 
And you will begin to believe, actually, that he can, he can forgive you for what you've done. That his grace can cover your life. On the complete other spectrum of people who feel like God can't forgive them, on the complete other spectrum are those, actually, who believe that they don't need a lot of grace and forgiveness from God. Some of us are in this room. We feel like, you know what, God should be pretty happy with us because there's other people that need all this grace from God, but for us, boy, on the grace meter, we haven't even started to, you know, push that grace meter in our lives. Just a little bit of grace here, a little bit of forgiveness here, and we're doing pretty good. That's all we need from God. In fact, we might even believe that we have been good enough to earn God's favor, earn God's blessing, earn God's forgiveness into our lives. We feel pretty good about ourselves. And we sometimes even compare ourselves and say, well, I'm not like the Ninevites who lived evil and violent ways. And for those of us in the room, and I say us on purpose, to include me, for us in the room, it's our pride, it's the sin of our pride, and our ego, and our arrogance, and our self-centeredness, and our self-righteousness, and our religiosity that keeps us from seeing how desperately we need God's grace in our lives. We need God's grace. There's this little phrase that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one is above anybody else. We're all in the same boat. And for those of us who maybe struggle with this holier-than-thou attitude at times, come next week as Ashwin teaches on chapter 4 because Jonah struggled with this very same attitude. He felt he was better than the Ninevites. He had an holier-than-thou attitude towards the Ninevites. And actually, he was angry that God showed mercy to the people of Nineveh. He even said, I want to die. I would rather die than see grace given to those people over there. Jonah even says to God, God, I knew, I knew you were a God who was gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew you were this way. I knew this is what you would probably do, and I'm angry that you've done this. And unfortunately, sometimes we as Christians sort of act that way. Well, we're better than other people, morally better, morally superior. We don't think we need that much grace, and that's not true. It's not true. God's grace, even in our pride, in our arrogance, in our ego, can cover us, cover our sin. You see, grace is not a thing. It's not an experience. Or even so much, you know, a thing to believe in. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. A person is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 17 says that the, mo- the, the law came to us through Moses. Grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. Grace is a person. We are shown grace in the act of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And if you feel you don't deserve grace, the grace that's shown to us through Jesus Christ, you're wrong. Don't leave here this morning thinking that way. Don't leave here thinking that way. Jesus has the power and the authority over what you have done. What you have done does not have power and authority over what God has done. Jesus has power and authority over what you have done. And he can make it all be forgiven. 
There's a young lady named Sarah. It's not her real name, but we'll call her Sarah. <clears throat> she lives in Calgary and uh, unfortunately got involved with the courts. And uh, by negotiating with the court system, she was allowed to stay with one of our Center Street Church partner agencies here in town in, in a home that they have. So she had the opportunity not to go to jail, but to live in this home for a period of time. That was her situation. She entered into this home when she was pregnant at the time. And um, just began to be a part of this family, be a part of this home. As her pregnancy progressed, uh, one day she came to the staff at this home and said, you know, I don't feel good. Um, she had a very high fever, felt a lot of discomfort. And so she was taken to the hospital. She was examined there and um, seemed like everything was okay with her, except for this high fever that she had. But then all of a sudden, things began to, de to deteriorate and change very quickly. The baby's heartbeat dropped, and so she was rushed um, into another room by the doctors and the nurses, and they performed an emergency C-section on her. And unfortunately, by the time the baby was born, the baby had died. And as you can imagine, Sarah was completely devastated. And the staff at this home were devastated as well. And, um, and so then she began her recovery in the hospital, and the staff came and visited her in the hospital and read her scripture and prayed with her. And, and one of the beautiful things that had taken place is while Sarah was living in this home, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She stepped into a relationship with, with God. And this was a great source of comfort and encouragement to her while she was in the hospital. While she was recovering in the hospital as well, she reconnected with her dad. And her, and her dad came and spent time with her in the hospital and just was a really good dad to her. Showed compassion and love in her life and, and they supported one another during this tragic time. Prior to her going into the hospital, <clears throat> Sarah had participated in some classes uh, that this home had offered. And in one of the classes, um, the staff from that home used this card to do some teaching. Some of you may remember this card that we, we taught on in our services about eight or ten months ago. And we used this card just to communicate, what is the gospel? What has Jesus Christ done for us? And how can we step into a relationship with him? So Sarah had been taught in this class how to use this card and, and taught about the gospel. And, and wouldn't you know it, because of her and through her connection with her dad again, Sarah tells a story that one day, she took out this card, and she had the opportunity to talk to her dad about Jesus. And the way Sarah tells the story is that as she was telling her dad about Jesus, her dad had tears in his eyes, and he said, I have never heard before about God's love for me. I've never heard about forgiveness before. I've never heard that I could be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I've never heard that before. And he was blown away that his little daughter would be telling him about Jesus Christ. And the daughter had the opportunity to lead the, her father to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. You see, God's grace reaches so far, so far into Sarah's life and then through Sarah into the life of her dad. God's grace is so far-reaching into your life and into mine.
You see, with Nineveh, it wasn't a massive army that took over Nineveh that day. It wasn't through chariots and swords and spears and military might and war and power that overcame Nineveh that day. It wasn't economic sanctions that changed Nineveh that day. It was one person who was sent by God with a specific message to the people in Nineveh. And Jonah did what God wanted him to do. And then God, by his power, brought about change and transformation in this whole entire city of more than 120,000 people. God's grace reached even there. What we see that is so miraculous in this text is the people of Nineveh believed in God. And another, maybe more literal way to say it is that they trusted in God. They put their trust in God. From the greatest to the least, from the most important to the least important, from the oldest to the youngest, we read here in the text, everybody started fasting. And everybody put on burlap and sackcloth in order to show the extent of their sorrow and their repentance before God. And their turning from their evil ways and, and their behavior and their ways of thinking and believing. And as the king heard this message that Jonah was preaching, the king himself, where we read, got down from his royal throne and took off his royal robe and put on burlap and sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes, signifying that even the most important person in that town was humbling himself before God and being repentant and changing from the way that he led the, the city of Nineveh. And then we read here that the king and the nobles made this decree. This is just astounding to me. Even the animals were supposed to fast, not eat or drink anything. All the people, all the animals, all the people um, and animals fasting, all the people and animals wearing sackcloth, burlap cloth, to show before God the extent of their sorrow and repentance and confession for what they had done and acknowledging and trusting in God. A miracle happened that day. And so as I imagine the way the story went, Probably everybody in the whole city and Jonah sitting outside the city are counting down the days. Started at day one when Jonah started preaching. Go to day 10, day 20, day 30, day 38, day 39. Everybody wondering, what will God do? 40 days was the time frame. I bet you not many people slept on that day 40. And they, day 41 they discover that God is gracious. That God will forgive. That God will have compassion. And that God will welcome anybody back into relationship with him no matter what they have done. No matter what they've done. Isn't our God amazing? Can we just give him an applause for what he's done? God, you are amazing. God, you are amazing. Because even as we sit here today, we don't deserve God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve God's grace. We're all on the same plane. But yet even to us, God's grace has reached us. And when we encounter God's loving kindness and God's grace and his mercy shown towards us, we are moved to repent. We are moved to change and turn from the ways that we've been living and live our lives in alignment with God. And what he says is true. And then we realize that we have a mission. 
that we need to be people that carry this message to others. The message of God's love, the message of hope, the message of God is a compassionate God, not an angry God, but a God that is slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious and compassionate. And our world needs to hear that. And a God who can bring about change, a God who can bring about change in a marriage, in a person's life, in a neighborhood, in a city, and a nation. You know, we come now to the end. And we're going to end our time by having communion, the Lord's Supper, together. There's probably nothing that we do more in our church, in our worship services, than having this communion meal together that reminds us about the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. When we have this meal together, we hold the bread and the cup, we're reminded that Jesus was tortured, he was brutalized, he was led before authorities, a judgment was placed on his life that he should be crucified. We're reminded that even on his journey to, his, to the cross, that he would be beaten and mocked and whipped. We're reminded that his body was broken, his hands and his feet were pierced. And then when he died, we're reminded that the sin of the world, your sin and mine, was placed upon him. And I cannot even begin to imagine what that felt like, for him to carry that burden and that whore. And then Jesus died. Jesus died for us, for you and I. He is grace in our lives. And we know that we will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. How do we know that? Because Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus was raised from the dead through the mighty power of God. And because Jesus is alive, we know that we will live with eternity with him one day. That is our guarantee. And so we come to this meal remembering God's grace in our own lives what Jesus Christ has done for us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in a room and Jesus had some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup. He passed it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. See, we live on the, under this new agreement that it's through Jesus' death on the cross and his blood that was poured out for us that we have forgiveness of our sin and we can have access to God. So our communion servers are going to come and serve us now. And I want to encourage you to use these moments just in quiet prayer and reflection to God. Perhaps there's something you need to repent of today. Perhaps there's something you need to confess. Perhaps there are some things that you need to just thank God in gratitude and praise and worship for, for the ways that he has been gracious to you, ways that he has provided for you, blessed you for what he's done in your life, and you need to spend these times just worshiping God because of what he's done in your life. Or maybe you need to sing and worship God through song. But use these moments now to respond to what God by his spirit is prompting you to do. So communion servers come, and then I will come after, and we will eat and we'll drink together. Heavenly Father, today we're reminded of the amazing gift that we received from you. 
we've been reminded that you reach into our past and forgive us. You reach into our future, you forgive us. You reach into the most awful, sinful thing that we have done and you forgive us. There is nothing that is beyond the reach of your grace. Thank you. We're reminded that we are sent people. And so moment by moment, we offer up our lives to listen for what you want us to do. Listen for what you want us to say. Listen for the people that you want us to to serve, to bless, to speak into their lives. Help us to know the right thing to say at the right moment. We'll be obedient to you in that. And so guide us in all we do and we say by your spirit. We live as sent people in Calgary. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he lead you by his spirit to be his witnesses, as sent people. Just manifesting and embodying the grace that you have received in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.